So in the book of John, Jesus prays and he says, Father, and this is kind of towards the end of his life and he's praying and he says, Father, unite them in your truth. Your word is truth. And so one of the key things that we believe as Outfitter Church is that the word of God has power. Hebrews chapter four tells us that the word of God is living and active. That this book, though it was penned over 2,000 years ago, that it is alive, that, that it is active, that it can pierce through the sinfulness in our lives it, and it, it divides our intentions. It knows the intentions of our hearts. This book is unlike any book in the world and that it is God's holy and perfect inspired word to his church. And so friends, there is nothing greater that we can do as a church than to preach through it as a church. And so this is our first Bible book series. We, we've preached, is he worthy? We preached messages of, is Christ worthy of our lives? Uh, we preached those from different books, always out of the Bible, but different books throughout. And then we just finished our series on core values. Again, we preached the Bible, but it was in different books. Now, friends, we are getting to my favorite thing in the whole wide world, and that is just walking through a book of the Bible. And someone could say, well, how do you know if the Holy Spirit is giving you your message? Well, I can say he's given me the book. This is inspired by God, so no matter what we preach, if it's out of the Bible, it's a Holy Spirit-inspired text, okay? And so we're going to walk through the book of 1 Peter. Remember, there's gonna come times as we've spent several weeks in it, you're gonna be like, oh my gosh, I just wish he'd preach out of anything besides this. Guess what? That's why we have a Bible plan, a Bible reading plan. You're reading in four different books, okay? So we, we're gonna get a lot of the Bible here, but for the next several weeks, we're gonna walk through the book of 1 Peter. And as I've been preparing for this, I, it is just really powerfully moved in my heart that I see that it has so much to say to our church today. So join me and, and just turn to the book of 1 Peter. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you're going to need to be ready tonight, okay? We're going to go through about seven different passages in the book of Peter as we just do an overview of this book, okay? If you don't have a Bible on the inside of your rose, there's a Bible for you. That is our gift to you if you do not own a Bible and you would like one, okay? Um, yes. Which page is it? It is on page, if you have one of these Bibles, 1,076, so 1,076. That's pretty powerful that a young kid just asked where that's at in the scriptures because he, he wants to read God's word through it. Praise the Lord for that. Um, so what, what I want to do tonight's going to be different and, and bear with me, I've never preached this way either. I've never done an overview of a book. But before we jump into verses 1 through 11, I wanted to, uh, to just scan a 30,000 foot view of what's God doing in this book, okay? So let's start with the very, we're going to go through a few things. We're going to go through the author, the audience, the layout of the book, and the context and significance of this book. And so we first begin with the author. We can be confident that it was the apostle Peter. Why can we be confident in that? Well, look in verse one, chapter one, verse one. Now, if, if you don't want to look through or play the gymnastics with your page turning, uh, it, it'll all be on the screen, okay? So first Peter, chapter one, verse one, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus. 
This is how many times letters in the ancient times were written, is they'd state who they were in the very beginning. And so Peter starts out by saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But also in chapter 5, verse 12, it says, through Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and testify and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So we can be confident in, in the authorship of Peter, the apostle, the man who walked with Jesus, the man who threw out all the books of the gospels is very well documented that he knew Jesus. Now, uh, several weeks ago, we preached through Bible fluency. That was one of our core values. It's right over there, the second one. Bible fluency. And we talked about in order for a book to be uh, affirmed as authoritative and inspired by God is it had to have an apostolic source. So an apostle had to write it or they had to have known an apostle. Uh, It had to have right teaching or right doctrine. It had to teach what is true, which lined up with what Jesus taught. It had to be from the right time. It couldn't have been like decades and hundreds of years after Peter lived. Wouldn't have been from him. And it also had to be accepted amongst the churches as authoritative. This book meets all four criteria. And so we can confidently believe that the apostle Peter is the one who God inspired to write the book of First and Second Peter. So that's the author. Now, who was he writing to? He was writing to Christians dispersed amongst Asia Minor. And I had a picture and I failed to put it in the slides for tonight. So I apologize. So just go with me in your mind's eye, okay? You've got like this C, I'm gonna turn this way. So you've got like a C right here, okay? And all along this side, like right in the middle of that is Jerusalem, okay? That's where Christianity began. The the church in Jerusalem, God shows up in the power of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people get saved. We've got a mega church from the very beginning of church, okay? And, And so Christianity is booming And what's crazy is God says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, the next geographical locations, and then to the ends of the earth. Well, Christianity's booming in Jerusalem, but they're not going outside that border. And so persecution happens and they flee. And that's when they start going city to city and spreading Christianity across effectively the world. But what's interesting is there was persecution that broke out and these certain believers, they went north into Asia Minor. Okay, and so this is like, if you look at a map, there's some in the back of your Bible, not in the ones that we have, but I apologize, I'll bring a picture next time. But it's spread out over the entire continent of Asia Minor. And in in chapter one, verses one and two is where he writes, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, who's he writing to? To those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we're confident that, that Peter is the author and we're also confident that he's writing to Christians who have now fled from their homes and fled for their lives and are dispersed amongst a continent in different churches, all in those cities. And what's amazing is this letter would have been sent to one of them with instructions to send it to the next, to the next, to the next. And so this letter was being circulated to these persecuted Christians in Asia Minor. That's who it's written to. 
Now, what is the layout of the book of 1 Peter? In chapter one, he makes it very clear that God has given us a great salvation. Not only has he given us a great salvation, but here comes the part that none of us like, sanctification. See, see what happens when, when we hear the message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself came and lived a sinless life, was born of a virgin, so a sinless birth, lived a sinless life, and then he offered himself as a sinner on the cross for your sins and for mine. When we hear that message and God opens our hearts and we believe that that is the gospel and we want to repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ, this beautiful thing, and what happens is that Christ's righteousness is then put on us and that before the Father we are seen as perfect, righteous children of God through Christ alone. I love that song. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my rock, my light, my strength. And, and so it's in Christ alone that we put our faith in him. His righteousness is then imparted to us. We're given the righteousness of Christ as us. Now, so therefore, when God looks upon us, he sees the righteousness of his son. So we are redeemed and, and adopted children of God. Now, that's our identity but you and I both know that although we, we if, if you've put your heart, or if you've put your faith in Christ, repented of your sins, and, and follow him as your Lord and Savior, you still struggle with sin, right? So that's where sanctification comes in, is, is we, our identity is blood-bought child of God, redeemed and, and, and given the righteousness of Christ, but we're still fighting against our sinful flesh. That's where sanctification comes in. That's the purpose of sanctification. And so we look at verses uh, six and seven in chapter one. So he's talked about salvation. He says, God gave you a salvation that can't be taken away. Again, that is significant because they fled from their homes, from their jobs, and fled for their lives for the sake of the gospel. Everything they have has been taken from them and Peter encourages them, there's one thing that you still have and it's the only thing you need and it's your salvation. Now, because you're still a sinner and because you still wrestle with your flesh, here's something that happens. Verse six, you rejoice in this even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ. We've been given salvation, chapter one makes that clear, but then we've been also given sanctification, which means God is faithful to make us look more like Jesus every day of our lives. Here's what's interesting about the book of 1 Peter. Peter gives them the, pers the perspective that suffering is a part of God's grand master plan of making you more like Jesus. Think about that. These people have fled and left behind home and job just so they weren't beaten or possibly worse because of their faith. They're in a foreign city, exiles. They don't belong in those cities, that's not where they're from. But that also teaches them they don't belong in this earth. We're children of God. Our eternal destination is, is heaven with God. We're exiles on this earth. That's the whole purpose of this sermon series, being exiles. And he says to them, in the midst of your suffering, 
if necessary, you will go through it. Why? Oh, this is powerful, friends. Verse seven, so that the proven character of your faith, skip down, says may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, let me, ooh, I apologize. Let me comfort you. In all your suffering, you are not alone. And in all of your suffering, there is a divine purpose. At the end of your days, when, when, I think it's in Christ alone or it's in the song we're gonna sing at the end. It says, when he returns or calls me home, either when, when Christ comes back or when we die and go to heaven, whichever comes first, God is saying to us through 1 Peter that all of your suffering, all the tears, all the pain, all the misery, all the confusion, it will resort, result in praise, glory, and honor when we see Jesus. Romans 8 tells us that the sufferings of this present world aren't even worth considering or comparing to the glory that will be ours in heaven. Friends, God says to us through the book of 1 Peter, your suffering has a purpose and you're never alone in your pain. Then in the back half of chapter one, we have a call to holiness. So we've been called to salvation. We've been told that there's gonna be some suffering along the path. And then in verse 13, it says, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, here he goes again, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, there is pain in this world that only is alleviated by knowing what is to come. If you're a Christian, this is the worst it'll ever be. If you're not a Christian, this is the best it'll ever be. Brokenness, cancer, death, financial stress, that's the best it'll ever be. Your eternity will be way worse. But if you know Christ as Lord, this is the worst it'll ever be. Peter knows that his audience is suffering, so he comforts them with the eternal hope of Christ. And so he says, be holy. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. So chapter one, he says, you've been given a great salvation. Sincerest apologies. He says, you've been given a great salvation. That salvation's gonna come with suffering. But no matter what, be holy. Don't be like who you used to be before Christ. Come out of the darkness into the light. And the next thing that we see in the layout of the book of 1 Peter is that our identity is as exiles. Look in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against your soul. 
Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. That would be anyone who does not know God as their Lord and Savior, okay? It says, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles. That's our identity. This is not our, our forever home. We're just temporary residents. This isn't, this isn't our permanent address. We've been called to salvation. We've been raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We've been adopted, redeemed children of God. And so he reminds us, friends, don't get too comfortable. You don't feel comfortable in this life? Great, because that's not your eternal home. And again, in Romans, it talks about that not only do we groan, that we long for, for all of evil to be, uh, to be destroyed by the power of Christ and for sin to be done away with and that for perfection to be the reality that's coming with Christ. But it says that even the earth groans because of the effects of sin on the earth. Friends, I, I, am, I am the most guilty in this room of having on rose-colored glasses. I think life is just fine and dandy. Today, I was so happy it was snowing. Praise the Lord, it snowed again. I'm not in Texas, praise the Lord. So I was pumped, right? And so many times I go through life and as long as things are good with me, my four and no more, life's good. But then you start to get to know what's going on in the lives of your church family. And you hear about the, the, the physical ailments. You hear about the spiritual things going on. You hear about the strain that's going on in their family. You hear about the death of loved ones. You look around and you look at the world. You broaden out from just your church and you look at our country. There's so many wrong and evil and injustice things that are happening in our country. You look across the globe and you just see injustice is abounding. This is not a great place. This is a broken and sinful world. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be happy. God has given us something to be happy about. I, I enjoy life. But friends, we are evil to think this is a great way to live. That this broken, sinful, evil, and unjust world, to think that this is great. God sent his son to take away all this injustice so that we could know what true life is like. And so he reminds us, don't get comfortable in this life. You don't belong. You're here as a light in the darkness and I will bring you home. So that's our, our call. But what, what's important about that is he's telling them, don't conform to your culture. He doesn't say leave. Did you catch that? Throughout the entire book, you'll never hear him say, find a new house in a different city where everyone loves me. No, 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 no. Friends, we'd have to leave the world for that. You look in bar none, there's broken stuff. Broken families, broken careers, addictions, shortcomings. You look in Casper, you look anywhere, you'll see it. You can't move to a certain neighborhood or zip code and get away from sin or get away from brokenness. Christ doesn't call us to. He says, don't conform to those sinful things. As exiles, people who don't belong, people who have been called by God to be holy, be different. What, one thing that I love about our logo, I'll see if, if Gage can throw it up there, our, our sermon series graphic um, 
you'll see that everyone's one, uh, everyone's all blended in, and then there's one person that stands out amongst them. That's what God has called us to be in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, in our families. Thank you, Gage. Exiles. We can't leave a broken culture. Christ has strategically placed us here to be a light and to be a beacon of hope to those that need it. Praise the Lord. The next thing we look through in chapters um, two through four is kind of like overviewing the Christian life. So chapter one, you've been saved. That salvation's amazing. That salvation demands that you be different. Chapter two, and you're in exile. Again, don't get comfortable. And then chapters two, three, and four talk about what it looks like to live as an exile. And, and we go through um, the social order, start, talks about obeying the laws of the land. It's really tough for me when I see speed limits, okay? <laughs> this sermon series is gonna really challenge me because I don't like to obey those laws that are on signs that say speed limit blank. Those ones I don't like. I like most laws. I don't like that law, okay? And, and so we, as Christians, we have to obey the laws of our land and friends, we're gonna try our best to be holy when it comes to that, okay? So that's our social order. And then it even talks about family order. You're saying the Bible has something to say about how our family should operate? Yes, it talks about the role and the calling of a wife. It talks about the role and the calling of a husband and of their children. And, and so we see as exiles called by God, what should our families look like? We're gonna look at that. And then it talks about just how to live, general advice on how to live. What I think is so powerful about that is in the midst of it talking about what your life should look like as an exile in a dark and broken community, what what should you be doing? And then it follows that with saying, or in the midst of it all says, in, in, verse, in chapter three, verse 15, this is one of the most powerful evangelistic calls. Chapter three, verse 15, it says, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So it literally says, you've been saved. That salvation demands that you're different. Your suffering is going to take place. Hang in there, this isn't your forever home. And then it talks about how to be holy, how to be different. And at the end of all those instructions, it says, now be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. What that's saying is that people are going to notice, like that picture, you're different. Not because you judge them, not because you're Bible thumping them in the head, telling them they're evil, but because with your words and with your life, you are proclaiming that Jesus is the only way to life, okay? They're going to see that and they're going to ask you, what is different about you? And you're gonna be able to say, King Jesus, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I lived in darkness, now there's light. I once was dead, now I'm alive. His name is Jesus, baby. And so that's, but only living the holy life do we get those opportunities to then give it a reason why we live differently. And then in chapter five, it goes into church leadership, which there's a fancy Bible, and I don't know, it's not a Bible word, it's a church word that says polity. What's your church polity? Really, what's, how is your church structured and organized? And so we'll talk about that. And what's beautiful is that in so many realms of the world, even in churches, we've seen abuse of power. But yet when, when God 
explains through Peter what the church is supposed to be governed by and structured as. It's as one man, or it's as a group of, of elders, pastors, shepherding their people with a servant's heart, not domineering, not doing it for greed, but doing it out of the love of their hearts in submission to God, knowing that they too have a shepherd whose name is Jesus. And so friends, we're gonna look at how God calls us in the church and as church leaders. And as your pastor, I just wanna say, I pray that, that my heart would always be holy before you and before the Lord in serving you. That it would never be to domineer, that it would never be for greedy gain, that it would never be selfishly, but it would be willingly as God would desire. We're gonna talk about how God calls church leaders to be above reproach, to not be corrupt, to not control and abuse their authority. That's a needed word in our day when, when abuse is happening everywhere. And then in chapter five, verse six through 10, he concludes with a powerful statement. Remember, these people have been persecuted. They've left their homes. They've experienced pain. And so in chapter five, verses six through 10, he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Verse seven, casting all your cares. Another version says casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Friends, when you go through suffering, I've done it. And now I don't ever wanna say that I've suffered. God has been gracious to me. There's been some tough times in my life in some ways. But, but one thing that when I do go through these times of darkness, I, I think I'm the only one that this is happening to. I'm the only one who knows what this feels like. But, but guys, God comforts us. And let me, let me comfort you with God's word. In your suffering, not only are you not alone because Christ, the risen king, is with you. But this passage right here says, knowing the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. You're not alone in your suffering. Verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore or will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. And at the end he says, by Sylvanus I wrote this letter to you to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm. Peter is well aware of the pain they're experiencing and he writes to them, stand firm. In church, that's what I say to you tonight. Stand firm. And the God of all grace will restore, establish, and strengthen you. So that's the layout of this book. The context of it, we've already hinted at it several times. Uh, there, there's a commentary that I'm reading. Um, if you're not familiar with what a commentary is, that's totally understandable. Someone who gets called doctor, 
So this person would be Dr. Jobes, Dr. Karen Jobes. Um, they pretty much study a topic and write like a massive 250 page paper over that topic. And if it gets approved, then they become a doctor, okay? There's years of study that goes into it. Well, this woman has, has written a, a commentary, so she studied the book of 1 Peter so much so that now she's called doctor, okay? And so they write about what's going on in this. And so as a pastor, um, and I, I'm always, before I do any of that, I have already sought the Lord. I've asked him to give me wisdom. I write out my outline. I write out the things that I wanna say. And then to make sure I'm not in left field, I get a commentary and I read along to to make sure that I'm lining up with what God has truly spoken in his word. And so it's just an, another fail-proof way to make sure that I'm preaching God's word faithfully. And one thing I learned in this commentary is that it, I love the way they said it, that faith was the source of their joy and ironically the source of their persecution. He was the source of their joy and their faith was the source of their pain. What an ironic combination that what brought them eternal joy above all things is also what brought them the source of their pain and suffering. See, I think about last week where if you were here, you saw it or you watched it on Facebook, we had a party and we celebrated that four people's lives have been eternally changed and we baptized them here. Guess what? I'm not sure if everyone would be celebrating the same way if you were in Asia Minor being persecuted for your faith. See, for them, salvation and then public baptism would mean that now they have a target on their back from society. We had people that didn't believe in Jesus coming and clapping, woohoo, praise the Lord. They don't even believe in God, but they're celebrating for their friends and family. That's not taking place in Asia Minor if you're in the book of 1 Peter. That's not happening. Baptism was almost a guarantee that now there was societal pressure on you and you would have to flee for your job Flee from, your fan, or free, flee from your home and possibly flee for your life. So what is the significance of all of this? The audience in 1 Peter was hearing from the apostle, you guys are exiles. You're well aware of that. Everywhere you turn, you, you know that this is not your home. You know this is not right. Stand firm, for you have believed in the true grace of God, Christ Jesus our Lord. But if we're honest with ourselves, that really doesn't apply to us today. We could probably kind of mine the depths of our persecution and the worst thing it is, is that someone, one of our coworkers is kind of rude to us because we believe in Jesus. Or maybe we've lost a friend because we, we shared Christ with them and, and told them that we want them to go to heaven as well and we share the gospel and they don't want to be our friend anymore. There may be here and there a, a, a more significant or serious case of persecution, but for the majority of people in America, that's about as bad as it's going to get. So we really can't relate to... Um, having to flee Bar Nun and move to Cowley, Wyoming because everyone in Bar Nun kicked us out because we're Christians. We don't really have that problem. So how does a book that's all about persecution of your faith apply to us? Well, let me try and make sense of this. First, 
although our suffering is not at the hand of people persecuting us for our faith, we still know suffering. And there are principles that carry over. And the same comfort that Peter was offering to them through the gospel is the same comfort that is offered to you through the gospel. And I was talking with my buddy last night or a couple nights ago about this. I was, I'm reading a book on suffering and the author writes, he says, what's amazing is that not only are we not alone, that Christ is with us in our suffering, but Christ knows more suffering than all of us combined. He was born in a very unimportant birth and almost immediately there is a king that's trying to kill him and so his family has to flee to a different area and and what's crazy is he kills all the two-year-old children in that region hoping that he could kill the messiah so so from the very moment of his birth christ is fleeing for his life then he lives a life of of meekness He's always traveling by foot. He's always eating small meals, sometimes going without food. He's oftentimes going without sleep. He's exhausted. He's wore out. And from city to city, he's being made fun of, ridiculed, and rejected by the people in which he came to save. And then to cap it off, he's brutally murdered and crucified by those whom he came to save. From the moment of his first breath as a human God-man on earth until the time he breathed his last on the cross, Christ was acquainted with suffering. So when we cry to him in our pain, he knows your pain. And he can comfort you in that. So that's one thing we'll take away from the book of 1 Peter is that our suffering can find comfort in the presence and the person of Christ and amidst the community of believers. But here's another one that's a little bit more hard. We went soft with the suffering, okay? God will comfort you. Now let's get real honest. Peter writes to the exiles in, in his audience. He says, you guys are exiles. You're very well aware of it. Stand firm. I think the word for us today in 2020 as Christians is, you guys, we're exiles, act like it. What I mean by that is that if you were to look at, if you were to look at the statistics on pornography, Christians view pornography just as much as non-Christians. If you were to look at greed, you'd think that churches would be above greed, that we're not in it for the money. But yet it doesn't take much of a Google search to find there's greed and corruption in the house of God. If you were to look at immodesty, oh my goodness, whether you be a guy or a girl, so much for the the Christian world, you can't tell them any different from the lost world. Immodesty is a terrible thing going on in our culture. If you were to look at the, the statistics on oppression, there is so much Horrible things being done to people. Sadly, that even takes place in our churches with our pastors and with our Christian families. Lastly, if you look at the statistics on divorce, Christians get divorced at the same rate non-Christians get divorced. There's a problem. And so when, when first Peter says that we've been given a salvation and that salvation demands that we be different than our lost neighbors. Not better than, different. 
And when it demands that, that suffering is going to come so that we can become more like Jesus, and then we need to stand firm in that, and then we're exiles, and that this is not our home. Friends, sometimes we've actually moved into this sinful stuff and adopted it into our own lives. I've been guilty of this myself with the things that I have allowed to come into my regular life and stay is not okay with what God's okay with. And so I think that there's two huge things we're gonna really hone in on throughout the book of First Peter. And one is, although we're not being persecuted for our faith, suffering is suffering and God can comfort us. And the other thing is that we're exiles, we need to act like it. Sometimes I think we've lost our identity as Christians and we've just adopted the identity of the culture we live in. Guess what? The, the most unloving thing you can do to a lost community is act like them. You can't be the light if you're living in darkness. Which means that by allowing the darkness and those sinful tendencies to stay in our lives, we are letting our neighbors stay in their sin, not giving them the light and an opportunity to come to Christ like we've been given the opportunity. God calls us to come out of sin and to be holy. In the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus says, Mark chapter eight, verse 34, says, calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself or die to himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Jesus says, and he says to us today, Outfitter Church, if anyone wants to come after me, let him die to himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The call of Christianity is a call to die. Die to our flesh, die to our preferences, die to our wants, and follow Christ, constantly serving others. So First Peter comforts us in that suffering can be comforted in the presence and person of Christ. And we're also, we're exiles and we need to act like it. If you are in Christ, brother, sister, I am excited about this journey. As we go through this book, as we learn what it means to root out the sinful practices in our own lives, how to get that out so that we can be more of a light in our culture. Again, we're not gonna move to a permanent, we're not gonna move to a residence where there's no sin. It doesn't exist. So amongst a dark and lost culture, how can we be the light? That's what we're spend the next several weeks allowing God's word to pierce through our hearts and help us to be more holy. And we're also going to find comfort for our pain. So believer, God will comfort you. You're in exile. Let's act like that. Let's be different than the lost and dying world around us. And my final close is, and I'm gonna ask Ashley to come up and, and to begin playing so that we can respond in singing to the Lord. But if you're in this room tonight and you don't know the Lord as your savior, then it, you can't clean yourself up before you come to God. You could try, 
But in the book of Isaiah, he says that, I believe it's Isaiah, he says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our good deeds apart from Christ are absolutely useless to God. You have to be plugged into Christ before your service matters. You can't clean yourself up before you come to God. He says, I'll give you this salvation and then I'll sanctify you. Maybe, maybe as we start this journey through 1 Peter, maybe you're wanting to say, I want to be saved. I've tried cleaning myself up, but as best as I can be, as, as, as honest as I can be, the sin that I live in, that is my home. I've not been adopted as a child of God. I've not accepted the forgiveness that God gives me for my sin. I don't follow Jesus. What a great place to start. What a powerful thing of God to hear an overview of a book and to know, yep, if we're gonna go down a journey of being called to be holy with God, I want to start that journey tonight. And so I ask if, if you're not a Christian and you're in this room and, and while you've heard God's word preached, your heart has been softened and you want to follow him. I'm gonna ask you to pray a prayer with me. It's nothing fancy, just declaring truth about who God is and about who you are and about asking him to save you. And so I'm gonna ask if we could bow our heads and close our eyes. If you say, I want salvation and I want God to start cleaning me up, I want him to change me and make me new. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer after me to yourself or under your breath. God, you are good. I can't clean myself up. I've been comfortable in my sin for far too long. You're calling me to change. I believe Christ died for me. I believe he rose again. And I want to follow him all my days. Forgive me of my sin. Adopt me. Redeem me. And sanctify me. All the days of my life. I will follow you. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, if you surrendered your life to Christ, I wanna know. Mark it on a connection card and drop it in the offering box at the back. I'll call you this week. I'll get you a Bible and we'll talk about first steps. We'll talk about baptism. Don't go home without letting someone know that you trusted Christ tonight as your savior. Now let me pray for the church and then we're gonna sing praise to God. Father, what a word from your book. What a word from 1 Peter that says that our suffering has purpose and our suffering is not alone and that we can stand firm. What a word that we're also called to be different from our lost and dying community. God, please, as we go through the book of 1 Peter, would you convict us all, myself included, of our sin? Would you convict our church as a whole 
of its sin. Lord, if there's any sin there, please show it to us. Let us get rid of it. God, as we go through this book, we ask that as we live a more of a holy life, that you would give our church opportunities to be asked why we do what we do. And God, I ask that throughout these next several weeks as we preach through this book, I pray that someone would come to Christ because of the light of the gospel that you're giving to us at this church. God, we pray for a salvation throughout this sermon series. And we will praise you when that takes place, God. Help us to be holy and to be exiles. In Jesus' name, amen.